On this week of Pounding the Table, we'll take a look at all the headlines from last week, dive into Apple and Tesla, take a look at what's happening with the Kava IPO, understand what is happening in crypto and thoughts on Coinbase, Google being overlooked in the AI space, C-Limited, is it explosion ready or do we hold steady? All of this and a lot more in three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 78 of Pounding the Table. I'm your host, Avo Locks. Alongside me is my co-host, Joey Salicho. It is June 10th, Saturday. We're back in the booth. Actually, I'm outside of the booth and recording this from outside today. Joey, how are you doing? I know your kids are ready to go to the park. Man, it's a really nice day here in Virginia. You know, a little smoky, which, you know, isn't ideal, but weather's nice. So, yeah, we're going to put in an expedited version of today's episode so we can get to the playground and just let them run wild till they collapse. Exactly. For those in the West Coast, we felt your pain here in the East Coast. We had that smoke for the past few days, so we're finally outside. Joey, before we get into it, got to give a quick shout out to The Morning Brief with Kevin D. They are one of our favorite daily newsletters. There's a million of them out there, so we're scouring the globe, finding our favorites and bringing them to the people of Pounding the Table. Join 4,600 other traders every single day. The Morning Brief with Kevin D. He's a 25-year trading veteran, so you're hearing from the best. And right now, they're going to be giving out $50 each week to someone at random that signs up from our podcast. So sign up at joinmorningbrief.com backslash PTT hyphen pod. Check them out. The Morning Brief with Kevin D. All right, Joey, let's get into it. Salesforce and Alphabet announced an expanded strategic partnership. The two are going to unlock further AI and data capabilities. Yes. So a partnership like this, it's always great to see, especially as a shareholder of Google, where someone like Salesforce and Mark Benioff recognize just what they're doing in the AI space and and how powerful they are. So wanting to partner up, leverage their capabilities and basically improve the offerings that they have for their customers. I know they've been slowly rolling out Einstein, which is supposed to tell you as a sales rep, effectively, which deals are most likely to close based off different inputs that they have. So I'm not going to get into the details there because I actually don't know the details behind it, but that is definitely exciting. And uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that moving forward, obviously. Uh, Other news, Amazon is planning to copy uh, Netflix with an ad tier service for their prime video streaming platform. How'd the market react to that, Joe? So I I don't even remember this being talked about on any any major news source. It's smart because, you know, they've got all this content that they've got uh, on their streaming service, why not, you know, almost like have the bundled version where if you have Amazon Prime, then you have all this other stuff. But hey, if you don't want Amazon Prime for some reason, I don't know why you wouldn't, then hey, you want access to the video feature, you got to pay this. It it makes perfect sense. Just, you know, another way to bring in someone that might not be a Prime member, but also make money off of them. Yeah, they have the data that's showing everyone that's a Prime member obviously orders significantly more they have that then subscription model. It's like, just keep showing how, you know, great it would be to have an Amazon Prime membership where it's like, yeah, if they get this phone deal done that we talked about last week, 
and you could reduce your phone bill by X dollars per month and you could get rid of paying for the ad tier at X dollars per month. Like you add all that together. Also Whole Foods. Yeah, all the discounts that they offer across all of it. So I feel like, yeah, they could show, almost have like the a la carte version where, okay, if you don't want to pay whatever the prime rate is per year, you could pay this instead. But overall, the best value is always going to be paying for Amazon Prime. Palo Alto got pushed into the S&P 500. Market reacted up 5% on the news. We'll be replacing Dish. I know we've talked about this in the past with a few other stocks, what it means to get pushed into the S&P. But for those that need a quick refresher, what do you think this means for Palo Alto and in general to be in the S&P? So the big thing is like all these index funds that track the S&P 500 are going to be forced to buy and, and have it as the weighting that's actually set within the S&P. So that's the big thing when they're talking about like these rebalancings and then all the funds that have to follow suit. Now, Palo Alto Networks is about, let's see, 58.97% year to date as of the time of this recording. So it's had a monster year. Uh, I have large positions, both CrowdStrike and Zscaler. I prefer those in the cybersecurity space. But when we were talking, I want to say that this was last week when we were talking about, you know, cybersecurity, the hack ETF, and, you know, if you wanted to create your own, like the three-headed monster in that space to me right now is Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, and Zscaler. And the year-to-date performance kind of shows just how well they've been executed. We had a whole section here on Tesla, but quick news, Tesla Model 3 will now qualify for the full 7,500 government tax credit. So... I don't know if we want to save your commentary here for the end. I can keep going. Yeah, let's let's save it. Let's keep riding. Kava, this is another one we're going to be talking about a little bit more in depth, but they're going to be looking to raise $274 million for the IPO coming up. So obviously, we're familiar with some of the food stocks we've discussed, sweet green in the past, like Chipotle, Wingstop. So we'll be getting into this in, in just a second. Twitter, new CEO, Linda Yaccarino, officially took over the position as of yesterday. TikTok aims to quadruple their e-commerce business this year to $20 billion. The S&P officially entered a bull market, quote-unquote, rallying 20% off its low in October. A firm stock we haven't discussed for a while, up 15% on the Amazon Pay Edition. Marvel, up 5% on Amazon AI chip order. And then JD, another China stock here, down 2% as other Chinese ADRs on poor Chinese export data. So... Recap real quick, Joey. Which one do you want to touch on here? Yeah, so we're going to dive into Kava shortly. Um, the Twitter CEO, I love seeing that because now people, I mean, you've seen Tesla, I think it's rallied 11 consecutive days and we're going to get into why it's been rallying so hard. But I do like that now people can say he's focusing solely on Tesla, even though he's still got SpaceX and everything else that he's doing. But he's not focusing just on Twitter and not like working from their offices to... I do like that his focus won't be on, I guess, the most insignificant of his companies or holdings. The TikTok news, one thing I would add is that they've been expanding their partnership with Shopify. So to see how fast that platform is growing, what they expect to do on e-commerce, Shopify will be a direct beneficiary. And I did like that they sold off their logistics unit to Flexport. So now the margin pressure there won't be an issue. Shopify uh, did that, not TikTok. Just to clarify. Shopify. Yes, yeah. to clarify, Shopify sold their logistics unit to Flexport and then got a stake in Flexport in doing so. The Marvell deal, I really like that. Anything with AI in it is, is great for the semiconductor companies. 
And JD.com, yeah, Chinese ADRs, this is what we, we talked about, like the ADRs and that whole structure is something I would avoid entirely. But one very interesting company in that space that we need to dive deeper into is Pinduoduo, Duo, which is PDD. Ah, uh, with Timu. Yes, they own Timu, which is growing very fast, catching lots of headlines. You know, Gen Z millennials love it. And they re-domiciled to Ireland to kind of like remove that stink from the stock. But that's I'm going to apologize in advance for saying the word Timu because listening to this, you're probably going to get pop-up ads because they, they have the craziest, like I, I went on the Timu site once and that's all I see now online. So I tweeted about that the other day. It's kind of obnoxious, but the site is very cool. If you want to see like $2 random things, I somehow ended up spending $350. So it gets you. And also thank you for clarifying that it's not Marvel, it's Marvel. So I appreciate that. Yes. As well. Marvel is owned by Disney and that's the comic book company. Not to be confused with Carvel, the ice cream place either, which is... Oh man, back in school, I remember Carvel used to give like the little ice cream cakes. I don't know if it was like, S, uh, what, what do we call it in Florida? It was FCAT. And we get, yeah, it was like the Florida standard testing, which was ridiculous and useless. But so you got a Carvel at the end? Carvel ice cream afterwards once you finished. Moving on. Let's move on to Tesla here. So Tesla, I know we wanted to have a little section on altogether. So we just touched on the fact that they got the tax rebate. The other news too, I got to find that clip when I called out as soon as he started to move over to Twitter. I said, Tesla's going to get hit here because investors are not going to like that he's focusing more time there. And I kind of said that at half-baked, not really knowing if that was true, but it, it certainly became true. And I think now just may play a role here now that they have a new CEO, of course, in Twitter. However, there's been a lot more news. So Joey, touch on some of the other pieces that they've been doing recently. Yeah, so you mentioned the tax credit, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter basically like doing all the math saying, you know, all these credits that it qualifies for could bring your purchase price down to closer to 30 grand, which is incredible when you think about, you know, where car prices have gone and essentially getting the best automaker brands at such a low price. But what stole the headlines this week was they announced a partnership with their EV charging network and GM. So in the next couple of years, GM's cars are all going to be outfitted with the charging ports, essentially matching the port style of Tesla superchargers. So Ford announced the same deal. I don't know if it was last month or the month before, but it almost, it's like the USB-C where phones are going. There's going to be a single charging point for all of these major automakers. So then it makes it much easier to find where you got to charge. So like one of the big knocks on EVs in the beginning was, say you're planning a long trip, you've got to figure out where you're going to be stopping to charge and, and all that. With this, having four GM and Tesla all on a Tesla supercharger network, now it benefits all three of them to be expanding as, as rapidly as possible, putting these everywhere because then, you know, yeah, having, I guess, this three-headed monster all using the same infrastructure it shows almost like every other automaker needs to follow suit or partner up with others. Did to this kill out. like uh, ChargePoint and some of those other guys then? So that was one of the big things I was looking at. You, you saw ChargePoint take a hit. I saw some headlines like EVgo is now a no-go. Uh, people getting <laughs> clever there. But there's so many players in the EV charging space that wanted to become, you know, almost like the Switzerland of charging. The problem is like Tesla has, I want to say they have the largest network. And now that they've got GM and Ford behind them, I can only imagine how fast they're going to expand this and become like the standard on the EV charge. 
Now they're up 45% here this past month. Uh, and, and appreciate again, I think you gave it to before it took this huge run. Cause I think I'm up about 45% with my pops. So uh, given that it's ran so much, is this something that you'd still be looking at right now? Well, so, you know, I started accumulating this. Now I was too early. I want to say I started accumulating like the 130, maybe high 130s and ended up adding to it. But like, it, I want to say it hit like 107 at the low and then started rallying back. And that's when I was like, okay, it seems like the bottom's in. Now you can build on your position and ride it up. Now, the reason I bought it is because on a forward earnings basis, it was trading, I want to say it was like 19 times forward earnings, something ridiculous. And the same situation when Meta got down to like 130 or so when I started building my position and it ended up going to the 80s, but it got to like seven or nine times forward. And you're talking about these companies. Now, Meta had issues where, you know, ad sales slowed, even maybe went negative, but like it's still an absolute monster on cash flow. Tesla is still in like the infancy of its long-term growth story. Like, yes, it's done fantastic, but now, you know, like the Model Y was a top selling car. I don't know if it was last quarter or last month. And you see just what they're doing on like the EV infrastructure, uh, energy overall. Like it's just such an incredible company. And Elon is just an absolute monster at cutting these deals to where the stock has run quite a bit. So I would be hesitant adding to the position now, mm -hmm. but I'm still not tempted in the least to start trimming just yet. Yeah. And we had a question about this just in general when you were mentioning these stocks. So just now you said, you were early. Do you mean fortunately early here in the sense that you got in before the big run up? Or are you kind of just sharing with the audience that are thinking, hey, when did Joey get this? Oh, You're no. having the clarity here. No, I'm being very clear because I wanted a lot of people like to say I bought this stock and, you know, like bottom ticket perfectly. I was early in buying at like 130 or so because it then proceeded to go down and you, f you feel very dumb and very wrong. If you buy a stock and, you know, it sheds 15, 20% over the next two weeks. But, you know, I believe in the long-term story. I've, I used to own Tesla years ago and I always regretted selling it. So like I was waiting for my opportunity to get back in. So once the Ford multiple got, you know, so depressed and I'm looking at like what the company continues to deliver on, that's when I started buying. And I was early buying because it continued to go down. Same with Facebook. I was very early. It went down like another 30, 35%. But if you buy great high quality businesses that when they're going lower, you just want to add to your position or it gets even more attractive. Those are the situations you want to be in. If you buy a stock and if it trims, like say it loses 10 to 15% of its value, all you're thinking is, oh, when I get back to even, I'm going to sell. The best move is cut your losses. You probably didn't want to own that stock in the first place. Find a business that, you know, you're not worried about. You could sleep well at night own. So I got to bring up Apple then. That's another company that's just been phenomenal. The past 10, 15 years, it's just been an absolute moose. The Worldwide Developer Conference has obviously been heating this up over the past few weeks again. So you want to touch on a few of the things they're doing with the Vision Pro? If you watch the video, you know, it's it's an impressive type headset. It, it looks flashy. The most fitting part of the conference is you can watch like the raw video of someone in the audience when it was announced. And when they say the price tag, 3,500 bucks, like, there's laughter in the audience because it's a bit extreme what they're going for. Like they're trying to price it as the premium one. But when I'm looking at like what it does, what it's talking about doing everything, I was just waiting for like Mark Zuckerberg to come out with some commentary 
was it? 3,500 or something? 3,500 bucks for the Vision Pro. So I'm looking at this tweet that I saw, basically waiting for Mark Zuckerberg to, to respond to all this. And he basically says, like, everything that they announce, the Quest already does, and everything else, he said, it's not something they haven't already explored or thought of. So, like, you're essentially paying a higher price for a product that could do the same thing, could be an inferior product to the, to the Quest. So this is a situation where Apple, they're late to the game quite a bit. Like, if you think about, you know, like their home pod, they always come late to the game on a lot of things. And sometimes they come with a great product. Other times they don't. I feel like this one is going to be one of those that, I mean, you'll have like the Apple hardcore people that buy it, but I don't think this is going to be the product. It's definitely not a quest killer. It could have its space, but it's not something that I find all that exciting. It's almost like the watch. Like it's a great looking product, but it's not like a must have. And, and yeah, I was looking at the tag too. I was like 3,500 seems absurd. I think you get down to that 1500 price range. More people would be willing I mean, to I could buy, kind of. I could upgrade my iPhone, get a watch, and get another iMac, or I could get this headset. Like yeah. I, I'd rather. What, what's their history? You know, looking back of the price that they initially announced and then the release. Do they stick true to the what they initially say? I haven't seen any significant price cuts. Now maybe they could come out with like a lower tier version of it. I feel like the initial price point, if they drop it, it's not going to be too significant. So maybe I bet it'll stay above three grand or they might go to like 2,999. But still, I'm looking at the price tag and it's just not something I'll be itching to grab. So I'll take on the, the next section here. Quick update on crypto. If you guys have been sleeping, crypto's had a dark cloud over it the past, I'd say six months, past year or so. But Binance and Coinbase have been in the news. So Binance traders. I got the announcement. They had a SEC lawsuit. It's about $800 million has been withdrawn. Coinbase also being sued by the US SEC for operating as an unregistered broker. And I think this happens again with any new technology. You're seeing the infancy here now with AI as well. There needs to be some regulation, of course. I don't think anyone wants to see someone lose their entire savings. However, there also has to be some sense of, of not over-governing, right? Because that stifles innovation. And I think what they're doing right now is, is it feels like that they're closing in slowly but surely on any crypto companies whatsoever. It seems like all the big banks eventually will be popping up and buying these maybe exchanges and having that as a part of it. As this regulation clears out, that's what I see happening. I think there's a lot of money that is still on the sideline. If it does get under full regulation and, and it's only overseen by you know the top four to five banks, Let's just continue to watch this. It, it's just a lawsuit, just to be clear here. The judge hasn't ruled anything, but it'll be interesting because Coinbase specifically, uh, they, they IPO'd. They went through all of this with the SEC for months and months, and they opened their books. They told them about their business model, et cetera. Coinbase can show that they've gone to the SEC over and over and over again, asking to be regulated. But the SEC, the biggest problem I've seen in the crypto community is there's just this lack of clarity. So they may try to make an example out of Coinbase and, and Binance. Those, again, are the two probably biggest names that people are familiar with. Now, if those go down, they could say, now you have to be under the trusted guise of JP Morgan and all these other banks. I truthfully have no idea. I don't think anyone that tells you they do has any idea. So it's one of these things we got to kind of just wait and see. Um, Joey, from a, a non-crypto perspective, how, how are you viewing this, I guess, with Coinbase? Because finance is not public, but Coinbase, like, is that something that 
you're watching or are you just staying away from right now? There's just too much pressure on the entire industry. And one thing I really don't like is Coinbase. They always come out with very strong opinions against the SEC. They make it they like Twitter posts by the CEO talking about the SEC said one thing, did another. And it's never a good, it's not a good look to have like, it's such a messy situation that I come back like, I don't need to have exposure to this. Yes, it could be a very profitable investment long-term, but there are much better opportunities elsewhere with CEOs that aren't stirring up so much trouble or very controversial. So yeah, it, it's one that I'm always monitor, but I have zero interest in, in touching right now. Before we get to earnings, we're going to touch back on Kava. We said we would come back to that. So they're going to price their IPO Wednesday night and they will begin trading on Thursday. Now, this is a very interesting company. I had it for the first time, I want to say two weekends ago, just because I saw the IPO coming. I saw the numbers. I was like, okay, this is very interesting. So the revenue growth has been impressive. The compounding growth rate it was over 50% since 2016. It's grown about 28% year over year the first quarter of this year. So growth isn't as impressive as I would like to see it right now, but the net loss has continued to improve. So you can show or clearly see there is a path to profitability. So one of the big things with restaurant companies is the most successful ones that you've seen IPO generally are like break even or profitable at the store level when they come public. You can see this like Chipotle, Wingstop was another example we talked about. Very successful IPOs and they've been incredible compounders ever since. Sweetgreen, on the other hand, was still you know hemorrhaging cash when they came public. And you see while the growth at the top line was impressive at first, as soon as that stalled, it's almost like the, the loss profile got even worse and that stock got taken to the woodshed. So Kava checks the boxes on clear path to profitability. They've been very good with uh, their capital thus far. And the most exciting part that I've seen is they've got 263 restaurants across 22 states and Washington, D.C. right now, but they think that they can have 1,000 restaurants by 2032. Then you look at Chipotle, where the last time I saw them make a comment, they thought they could have like over 6,000 locations. So this is something where like they can be conservative for 2032, but like the growth won't stop there. So if they start just, you know, generating as much cash flow as uh, Chipotle or one of those guys, like they could really fuel this expansion. It's not one of those franchise business models. It's going to be, it, it has the potential to be a very, very good company over the long term. And the food is fantastic. The other oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add that uh, the food was fantastic. So having the almost like the growth and investment profile match that is actually good products. And I understand why there's like lines around the block. It, it shows that, yeah, it's a quality product and a very good business. So the other piece here, Joey, is there hasn't been a lot of IPOs recently. That could also benefit them in the sense that people want to invest in something new and exciting. I feel like the IPO days of 2020 have not been existent, really. There, there hasn't been really any big names. Stripe and all those other ones never went. So do you think that plays a role here in the success? I mean, the IPO craze was insane when like everything, no matter what it was, was popping like 80, 90% day one. The you know money losing SaaS companies that were growing the top line at an insane rate. All people cared about the dollar based net retention rate rather than like the actual margins. So yeah, it's, it's great to see that we're finally having another IPO after all these years that we've been waiting for a really good one. Um, and it's actually a great business that a lot of people know. 
And because they do have like that cult like following that, that could help propel this one. So I had told you, I'm definitely watching how it prices, how it opens. If it is a reasonable level at the open, like I would be interested in it just because I really like the business. But yeah, if it pops off day one, I'll just monitor it, watch it through earnings, see how it does. And I'm one that I'll always pay up for a high quality business that's performing. So yeah, if it opens up 30% and then after the first couple of earnings reports, if I get more bullish on it and it had doubled, I really don't care based on where I, it's almost like if I think that the business can compound over the next decade, I'll pay up for it. I want to quickly touch on this concept as well again, because one thing that I've seen over and over again, I mean, you know, especially Airbnb was just fresh in my mind of what happened. Right. It, it, it prices at one price. And then all the early investors, the institutions, those are the guys that are getting that price. By the time the market opens, it's going to be up 20, 30% potentially. Right. Absolutely. Yes. There's some platforms that allow you to like put in an order to try to participate, but I wouldn't count on those getting filled. Never put a market order for any IPO because you really never know where it's going to open. So this is one where turn on CNBC or even like, you follow a great Twitter feed and it'll usually have like stock priced at 19, first indications 21, but you know, it could end up opening at 28, 29. Let's get into earnings. Touch it on last week. You nailed a few of these. I know we were touching on Braze, GitLab, DocuSign, uh, as well as GME and HashiCorp. So Braze, let's start with them. They were up 20%. That was one that you did speak highly of. It's just a great product, great platform. I've seen, I've heard great things. A lot of huge brands use them. I was very interested in this one, but I was almost hoping for, you know, like a CrowdStrike type quarter, the beat raise and it still falls regardless. Um, unfortunately, it didn't get that. I'm fully invested right now. So I didn't want to go on margin into this, didn't want to risk anything like that. So I just didn't shuffle around to try to get into this one, but it is a great business. I feel like the rally was warranted. The valuation makes sense here, but it's not one that I'm like, oh, this is ridiculously undervalued. It, it needs to go higher. Same with GitLab. I think it just got so depressed. I love the fact that Google had been buying shares and I've always thought that they would work perfectly under Google's umbrella as a direct competitor to GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft. It's just a great situation there. Plus, a lot of what you'll find on GitLab plays into these people that are building AI tools and they're looking for all this different information. And this is almost like, you know, like an encyclopedia or dictionary of you know, different things that you'll, these developers are looking for. On DocuSign, it beat expectations. I think like their bookings is what people got excited about. Now I saw the stock had jumped from like 58 to 64 or 65 after hours and it was up a lot. I went through the quarter and like, I didn't find anything impressive. Like it's grown like under 15% on both revenue and bookings. Yeah, the, the cash flow is good, but I'm looking at this kind of like a Zoom or which I've never really liked Zoom, but I look at this as one of those it's a great product. Now, the reason their stock got so bad or, or undervalued was they made a deal to buy this company, Figma. They paid like $20 billion and it was a ridiculous valuation or a ridiculous multiple based on their revenue. And the stock dropped like 15 to 20% that day and it just kept going down. Now, some headlines have come across saying the deal will be blocked and yet the stock fell further on that announcement. So like, okay, people didn't want it. Yeah, and the stock falls, the stock's going to get blocked, the deal falls. Like, it didn't make sense, but Adobe is making all these headwinds in AI. Like The situation is great. And they have Adobe Sign. So I'm looking at DocuSign. Adobe Sign is almost like every document that I'm sent is through there. It's almost like 
DocuSign is a great feature that other people would have. I've said the same thing about PagerDuty, which recently took a big hit, because that's essentially what OpsGenie does. And that is a feature within the Atlassian platform. So like you've got all these companies that are great features, but you can get the same thing elsewhere. So we saw that with uh, Salesforce and Slack too, I think. Like Slack was, I think, is the better product overall. However, when Microsoft is walking in there and saying, hey, fuck your Slack, we can give this to you for free with Microsoft Teams. I've seen a lot more people move to Teams. I mean, I, I use Slack in my company, but you know, I've seen a lot more companies start to move over. And I've talked to people at Slack too, that, you know, you can see that company starting to lose a lot of its steam and uh, Salesforce got hit because of that acquisition as well, I think. So. Yeah. And so, I mean, not to knock DocuSign too hard, like it was a good quarter. I didn't see how a rally was so justified. And then when it gave up all those, those gains and went negative, I was like, okay, this makes more sense. Yeah, it looks like Batman. If you look at their uh, five-day forecast, it pops, then it comes right back down, then pops again, and then it just got smoked here on Friday again, back to below where it started before earnings. Yeah, and then next on HashiCorp, which I told you, you know, I I love this company, but I I went back and made sure I actually said it because this is my true belief is it's just not the right stock in this market. And it's exactly what I said last week, and the market seemed to agree because it was down like 25% on its earnings release. So it was a it was a great quarter, growing its revenues over thirty percent, but it's a money losing tech company. Great, great products, everything about it. I know a lot of companies that use it and rave about Terraform, but this is not the market where you want the money losing tech company, regardless of the top line growth. So, like, I think the only thing that could have saved them is if they had like some surprise profit or something like that. But you know, it wasn't there. I feel like the valuation is much more attractive right now after this headline or after this beatdown. But my portfolio is, as we've discussed, is I'm following kind of like the KISS method, the keep it simple, stupid. Like you want it to be stocks that, you know, if if some crazy headline happens next week, you're not worried that you're going to be losing 20, 25%. And if they do, you're just going to want to be adding to those positions, not if it gets back to even, I'm going to sell it. Because I feel like that is the the absolute wrong mindset. I feel like everybody listening to this needs to review their portfolios. If there's any stock that you think, oh, when this gets back to even, I'm going to sell it. Just find something else. Because the stocks that got you into where you are now are not the ones that you need to ride back out of this. The last one I want to touch on is GameStop. So that's obviously made a ton of news during GameStop mania. And, and the Reddit crowd is still into it. Ryan Cohen moved into executive chairman. I know you were really excited about. So is GameStop like moved out of meme mania and now it's kind of a name that people are taking more seriously? Or what do you think Ryan means to the, the company? I want absolutely nothing to do with this stock. It is like the face of meme mania and everything that's going on there. Yeah, Ryan Cohen moved to executive chairman. They also the CEO. Essentially, Ryan Cohen's going to be the CEO. And I know he's got all these plans for what he could do with GameStop. And it's just one of those where like, you know, the business was almost saved by meme traders. You can say the same thing about like AMC, Kurtz. Like, I feel like the whole Wall Street bets, GameStop, or meme trader movement saved some companies. So, I mean, like, it's almost like these Robinhood traders that, that went out, did some good, got these stocks pumped up to where they could raise capital, like saved their businesses, saved tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of jobs. Like, it's a cool story. However, I'm not interested in placing my own money in one of these. I'm almost like rooting for, you know, everybody that's investing, I'm rooting for you to make money. So like, I'll never dig 
on someone that's trying to do good or trying to make money. But this is one that I'll be, you know, rooting for you from the sidelines. Yeah, I'm the same way. Quickly, earnings for next week. We got Oracle on Monday, Wednesday, we got Lennar, and Thursday, Adobe, which we just touched on as well. Anything on either of those? I know we, we touched on Adobe, but Oracle or Lennar, anything? Oracle's cool. Um, I think they're the ones that are almost like forgotten in the whole like rise of the internet where everybody talks about AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. But Oracle, you know, they've got a booming business there. It's been performing. But the one that I'll be watching the most is Adobe on Thursday. Um, they've had a heck of a year. They're up 34%. I still think like the valuation is so attractive, but I, it's not one that I'm going to be like trading in or, or, you know, adding to a position, anything like that. Um, shout out to my friend Austin Morgan for being all over this because I always knew Adobe and I was like, oh, you know, the top line growth isn't all that impressive. The margins are phenomenal, but I didn't understand just how important this company was to like 80% of the fortune 500, like everybody uses Adobe or their experience cloud or their, their suite of tools in some way. And like, once I actually did some work on it and realized like, wow, this is almost like an essential business to <laughs> all the big players. Oh, then yeah. I understood. And then like, you could watch his videos on YouTube where he's showing you like their AI generative tools where you could take like other wild self at the beach and like expand it. And it's just insane. I saw this one where it's like a person riding a bike down this cracked up street and like it can add the yellow lines. It can add scenery, add treats, and it looks so real. So like when I'm looking at this AI revolution, you've got all these fakers, but you've got like this Adobe move where I, I feel like they're right up there with Microsoft and NVIDIA as the companies are going to be leading this AI revolution. Questions from the audience. My favorite section of the podcast, of course, as the pot of the people, we got to give back. So we had a few questions here. As always, email us hosts at with an S. So H-O-S-T-S at poundingthetablepodcast.com or DM us on Twitter at pounding the table. First one here is from L Loomis. I would love for you to speak on all this chatter of Alphabet and Google so far behind in this AI race. Really? Question mark. Brad Gerson did an interview with Scott Wapner on CNBC, reinforcing this idea. How could this be true if Google bought DeepMind in 2014? What are your thoughts on hold, sell, or buy more Google? Now, we do not give any investment advice on this podcast, but hypothetically, Joey, what are your thoughts just in general, I guess, around Google's AI? Are they truly behind in this race? No, that's what I found so weird that they thought so many of these investors saw the launch of OpenAI and Microsoft stake there like as if google's the one that dropped the ball it, it's almost like you know apple releasing these these goggles and saying that zuckerberg dropped the ball it's like no he's he's got a massive position in the entire space like with quest same with google like they've been investing in ai for longer than almost any company i could look up so i want to bring it back to beth kindig she had a great post on twitter said, as one of the first companies to invest in AI, Google's data advantage cannot be overstated when it comes to training large language models. It would be a mistake to think Alphabet does not command a place of leadership right now in generative AI. And that is absolutely spot on. She's got a full article called Google Stock Searches on the Precipice of Multi-Decade Disruption. Like they have such a large position there and, and they've been investing in it for years. They got all these teams dedicated to it. To think that just because another product came out, like they're somehow way behind in the race is a mistake. 
And I know on this, Google actually got down into the 80s and I was buying in over fist. And uh, Google's like a top five position of mine. I think the valuation is ridiculous. Yeah, I think, you know, right along with Microsoft, Adobe, NVIDIA, this needs to be in there. And I was, you can almost see like when I was talking about like the leaders of AI, even I kind of left it out. It's almost like one of those no-brainers. Like, of course, they're invested in it. Yeah. And you think of all the data that they have, all that search data, everything that they've got, like within their archives that they could use to train these models. Like, to count them out is ridiculous. And yeah, I think that'd be foolish because yeah, just given how how much overbing, like the, Google has so much more data, and maybe OpenAI had to splash with Microsoft in terms of highlights in Newsflow, but. To think that Google can't go out and pay OpenAI's folks double or acquire all these other companies or just bring on some of the top minds in AI to use their data sets would be completely foolish. Right? So yeah, I mean, not only like the search data, but then you think everything they've got, Gmail, music, <laughs> Gmail, like they power so much, even Google Cloud, like everything that, that, that comes into play, like there are a few companies that have as much reach as Google, like you'd think Amazon, Microsoft, those guys, like it's almost laughable that people think that they're behind. But this is exactly what I mean when if you can recognize a disconnect in the market where people are seeing something completely wrong, you can make quite a bit of money because it's a great situation, great valuation, everything that comes into play. That's when you just need to know that you know more than the overall market and trust your instincts and just get into it, get after it. We got a question here from Alim. Hey, gents, just curious your thoughts on C Limited. Now, this is a company Tony absolutely adored. So we'll have to, to hear what he has to say. But what are your thoughts here on, on C Limited? It's been absolutely beaten down after it was a FinTwit favorite early on 2020. Yeah, so for the longest time, you know, I always said uh, like, joked around, but was serious on Twitter that C Limited was my entire 401k. They stopped performing. Uh, the stock absolutely took a beating. And it's one of those where I saw the tides turning and the market kind of turned its back on money losing tech. And I switched it to where, you know, it was entirely Celsius, which has worked out well. But so with C Limited, the problem- Do not there, do this at home, by the way. Joey's no, not. No, so, so factor in that my 401k represents less than 10% of my total net worth. So like, because I've owned Celsius for so long, I think the first time I bought it was 2009, then they got like delisted and all this stuff. Well, we could go into the story of like my origin with Celsius, how long I've been drinking. And I think it was like 2008, 2009. I've consumed Ruby more Celsius. Jonah. Oh, we actually talked about this. He was like- Ugh. Who do you think's drunk more Celsius than me over the last like three years? I was like, Jonah, yeah. I've been, I've been having two to three a day since 2008, 2009. I'm like, I am him. <laughs> yeah. He is the only person that I would say loves Celsius as much as I do. And like that man, he follows like every new stream, everything about Celsius. So like he's more attacked the company, but it talks to like addictions. I feel like my addiction has been so significant. That I have a leg up with him on that. I exactly. think Medium could be co CEOs and run that company just because we know it so well. If you want some Celsius data at Jonah Lupton on Twitter, check him out. Uh, <laughs> he's got some great stuff on it. Really good guy. Back um, to C Limited, Joey. Back to C Limited. <laughs> so they were this growth darling of the stock market. And, you know, when revenue growth was there, like you were okay with the losses, but now revenue growth is slowed to where it's just 4.9% last quarter. 
And yes, they, they turned to where it's profitable. So they're not like hemorrhaging cash because it's almost like that's what people want. They want us to be profitable. Here's what we are. They shut down some money losing units of Shopee to try to pair the losses in that unit. The problem that I see with it is, and we've talked about this many times, Arena, which is their digital entertainment unit, is what fuels everything else. That is the cash cow type machine that generates, basically generates the cash flow that fuels C-Money and Shopee. Now, it has been in like, if you look at their investor presentation where they're talking about like bookings at Garena or in their digital unit or digital entertainment's unit, it's having a staircase down. It's not good. So when that unit is taking a hit, everything else needs to be paired back. So right now, the valuation is probably at its lowest on sales ever. And since they're turning that corner on profitability, you finally got this new metric to, to base it on. I feel like it is now oversold and undervalued based on where it could go in the future. However, you also have companies like Mercado Libre that are growing the top line significantly faster, are significantly more profitable, do the same things in different markets. So when I'm comparing, yeah, C and Melly, it's, it, it's not even a comparison. It's like Mercado Libre is the stock to own with that. So while C Limited, I do think represents an attractive opportunity right now, think there are better options elsewhere, even in the e-commerce space alone, like you've got all these other platforms, you know, you got Etsy at like 16, 17 times trailing 12 months free cash flow. You've got countless, countless other options in the market where you don't have to go to see, you can almost wait for that growth to accelerate, to get back in almost like buy on the uptrend. If you're holding it right now and thinking, oh, should I buy it more? I wouldn't. Should you sell it? I mean, I wouldn't do that either. It's really just how much do you believe in the long term of the company, but then keeping that position to a respectable size based on the risk profile? Yeah. Well, they were a true COVID darling. They were doing well as a stock because gaming was so big and gaming was so big because everyone was home. Right. And so they got a huge pump out the gates. Now it's kind of basing. Right. So it's definitely starting to get on my radar again to watch because you know, the downside seems less at this point than the possible upside. But to your point, like, why play that game? Why not just go with a known winner like Melly if you like that space and keep SE and maybe you're not hitting that bottom. So if they show quarter on quarter growth, like I'm fine, miss the first 15% upside. Reed. Jacob the Bald says, what are your thoughts on Coinbase and platforms like Binance? They seem to be a lot, making a lot of noise. So I touched on that earlier. Jacob, but I'll still give you a shout out here. I'll try to bring someone on that uh, can talk to this a little bit more in detail as well. Ken Collada, uh, please mention stocks you like with entry and exit levels. I know Joey and Avi are amazing stock pickers. Sorry, Avi, we still love you. Um, all right, this is a little tough to read, but it's uh, it's frustrating to hear Joey mention a stock he's had recently purchased for after the fact. I fully understand we should not blindly follow anyone on a stock. But I keep a watch list and a member of the Motley Fool. So I hear you guys mention stocks. I'm on more a confirmation basis, positively or negatively, working full time and family. I rely on services like the Motley Fool and podcasts for yours to help build my portfolio. So I read this one and, and I love this question because I think it's really important to double down here. We are not a stock picking show. We are, it cannot be investment advice. We are purely entertainment. With that note aside, I do think it is important. And, and Joey, we talked about this prior. Always do your own due diligence. Please bring back the mini monsters. So 
I'm not sure if that's really a question, Joe, or you're more of a comment here. Yeah, so I I will never be in this space where I'm like, I'm going to buy this at this price. You know, I used to have my big Twitter account. Now it's a small Twitter account. Like I would talk about my moves more specifically, but you know, it's just an uncomfortable thing. Uh, it almost got like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I realized people might blindly follow. And yeah, if you have a stock picking service, by all means, like that's kind of what they're for. That's not what we do. I mean, we'll spotlight great companies, talk about them, talk about the news. I could start talking more about like, hey, I bought this at this level. This is why. But again, it almost feels like I'm pitching a stock and that that's it's almost uncomfortable kind of in our situation. If we ran a stock picking service, that would be different. I do like the idea of bringing back mini monsters and, and like talking about this up and coming company because it yeah. wouldn't be something, you know, my current investment criteria, I'm not going after the smaller companies. So like spotlighting, you know, a company that could be great in the future, something like that. Bring on an analyst that, you know, knows them specifically or knows them better even than I would. That would be fun. But yeah, I think, you know, if you're displeased with me not talking about my actual entries, exits, my trading strategy and all that, that's by design because it's not what I do. Um, but again, it's like, hey, I'm rooting for you to do the best that you can, but I don't want to be, I guess, that important in your life that you're just going to follow what I say or, or even my entry levels because I can be wrong just as much as I'm right. I have been. So um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I'm never wrong. So you guys can follow me 100%. Kidding. Uh, but Ken, don't forget about Axon and uh, CrowdStrike. Your boy crushed those ones. Your kids are bugging you here, I see, in the background. All right, we got this last question from Chris de Rosiers. I'll paraphrase what he's saying here. Basically, in the sense that you've had diamond hands on stocks that you like really, truly, passionately believed in, right? And now those stocks have been getting killed down 60%, down 80%. You know, inherently one's mindset wants to hold those because you're beaten down so much. You never want to take that loss, right? But you've said something to me over and over again, and I've seen it just play out. Yeah. So so this is a situation where you need to recognize that the market has changed. It's no longer free money. These companies need to be more responsible with their money. They can't just be hemorrhaging cash because raising it's not as easy as it once was. And the, the almost like what the market wants has completely changed from 2020 to today. So this is where I always say like the stocks that you rode down to where you are now are not the ones that you need to ride back up out of this. So what does this mean? DocuSign, let's use this as a prime example. I own that from like high 30s, uh, a couple of years at the IPO up to 300 or something like that. And I rode that all the way back down to like in the hundreds. And I realized, okay, this market's changing. So where I could have said, oh, when this gets back to 200, I'm going to sell it. Or when it gets back to 300, I'm going to sell it. I realized it may never see that level again. So do I take the valuation right now? Where would my money be safer and still have significant upside? That could have been, you know, rotating to Microsoft or Amazon, something like that. Now, I, I don't know exactly what I do with that cash, but like those stocks probably still took hits, but they have since come out of it significantly better than DocuSign has. It, it's probably still lost money from you know the level. I think it's still down, I think, 50% from where I had sold it. So you know, you got to recognize when the tides turn and how you need to change your investment mindset. So if you've got a stock that's down like 80% from where you bought it, do you think that this stock over the next five years is going to produce better returns than a lower risk stock like 
an Amazon or a Google or something like that. So when you say genomics and rockets, so when I think rockets, the one that's going to come to mind is like Rocket Lab. And yeah, it's a great situation. The stock is down significantly from where it was. But do you think you know that is a better investment right now than a, a PayPal or something like that? So it's almost like you need to compare and contrast the situations and, and figure out what's the best risk to reward for your money based on where stocks are today. My portfolio at one point was like 40 plus stocks and, you know, spread across. I had, you know, some very outsized positions that got they, where they were on their own. Like Etsy got to a huge portion simply because of the run up in itself. I didn't make an outsized investment at the start. But, you know, when situations change, you know, like Etsy was my baby for the longest time, but I actually ended up selling it because I realized the risk profile was different at the level that it reached from when I had originally bought it. And like where I was in life is like, okay, I don't need to risk this from here. I'd rather just rotate this into an Amazon because I felt the valuation made more sense based on, you know, where it could be in the future. And it's just one of those where it hurts to sell stocks and especially ones that have had a big run up because it's like, oh, I don't want to pay the taxes on this. It's like, look, that's a good problem to have. Pay your taxes and move uh -huh. on if, if that's the move that needs to be made. So yeah, always be looking at the stocks that you own. And again, I would reiterate the whole idea of, you know, if you have a stock that if you're down 80%, you're thinking, oh, and this is back to even, I'm going to sell it. You should probably sell it anyways, because if you have a plan to sell something at a specific level, that's currently in the red, it's probably because you're hurting, but you don't want to take the loss. Like this is a game where you don't even need to be right 50% of the time. It's like you need to be right a couple times, but by a huge percentage. And those will more than make up for all of your losers combined. All right, Joey, I see your kids are bugging to get to the park right now. So be the good father you are and enjoy the afternoon. Everyone go enjoy the afternoon. Have a fantastic weekend. Give us a follow on Twitter. Send in questions. We will be back for another episode next week of Pounding the Table. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never Say the top is never crowded Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain Till I need a few accountants Stock is rising, perfect timing I'm in Brickle with the tribe Shawty sliding, she want sushi She want eel sauce for the rice I just peel off with the light